1: Oh, press my face into that glass of the frosted angular night. Take my arm and walk with me until we have our step arrested by the shimmering embrace of the moon underwater. What a day it is today in the Moon Underwater, the mystical pub where all your publy dreams come true. This is the place where we invite our guests to create their dream lineup, their dream bar, their dream rules, to really express themselves in their tavernesque imaginations. I, John Robbins, am the landlord, and you find me cleaning my brasses. Um, got some several. We've sort of accumulated quite a few new brasses uh, recently. We've moved on from familiar animal-esque brasses of the fox head and boar's tooth uh, to more more sort of surreal, I guess almost more sort of um, impressionistic brasses. And with me to examine those brasses a little bit closer and also to help us with our quest to create the dream pubs of the world... It's the lovely Robin
2: Allender, the regular at the Moon Underwater. Hello, Robin. Hi, John. How are you doing? It's lovely to be surrounded by impressionistic brasses. Yeah, one of them is fear. (laughs) You
1: can hang your coat on it. Yeah, you can hang your coat on the fear brass. There's also um, one memory brackets general. Mm. And one, I think, was entitled simply Hinterland. Oh, hope. Hope, yeah, hope, the brass of hope. That's in the shape of a sort of... Sort of shape of like half a diamond, but cut at an angle. So it's sort of many, many angled brass of hope. Because it's not the full diamond. That's what they say about hope. Because a diamond cut at an angle mm. isn't quite fulfilled, right? So it represents hope. I think. I guess. I'm guessing that was the artist's yeah reasoning behind
2: it. Far be it from me to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could have been the prow of a ship. Might have been a good one. The Cape, the Cape of Good Hope.
1: Yes. That's not bad. Well, well, contact the artist is what I should say. <laughs> um, but a lovely atmos in the moon underwater. there was a beautiful, beautiful winter sunlight bathing the gardens and the sort of many gazebos and trellises. And we've got some beautiful winter primroses uh, just coming into bloom.
2: Yes, yes.
1: It's really quite an extraordinary, uh, quite extraordinary grounds. And the, the
2: lawn is bejewelled with frost as well. Oh, so much so, so much so. But how are you, Robin? How are you in pubs? Yes, good in pubs. The week in pubs, the pubs in week. Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a good, good, good period. Um, I went out on Friday to a great pub, The Bishop on Lordship Lane, and we went to the an in, uh, to Mem Saab on Lordship Lane for a curry afterwards. Very, very nice curry. Great great experience. I, I don't know how you'd have coped with this. There was a big table there, a table of about 10 women. I think it was someone's 40th birthday. Um, and they were quite rowdy, but they were fine. And they started doing, uh, like, trivia. Some, one of the presents that they'd got, the, the kind of person whose birthday it was, was kind of this trivia game. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the questions were uh song lyrics. Oh god. Like you read out a song lyric. How how do you think how do you how how do you think this is? I started shouting out the answers. Oh, it's tricky. But like I'd be talking to my girlfriend Ruth and suddenly I'd just go Manic Street Preachers. <laughs> my- <laughs> And then they then they cheer though. It wasn't like I was being Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that first time you shout it out is a real risk. Yeah. Natalie Umbrulia. Yeah. It was weird. I mean, then they started calling me lyrics boy by the end, which was which was fine. And it was all very good-humored. Oh, that's nice. I think
1: it's quite it's quite a unique position to be in when there's rowdiness that you're actually trying to tune into. Because you find it quite interesting.
2: Yeah, and I I don't know about you, but if someone asks a trivia question that you know the answer to, and no one else in that group knows the answer, the temptation to shout out is really quite strong. I I would say impossible to resist. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but it was good fun. Well done, lyrics boy. Thanks, enjoyed that. Yeah, how's your week in pubs been?
1: Uh, I had a really nice, unexpected pub trip I was in London, um, meeting my sister and uh, my nieces. And I, we were sort of done about four o'clock, so they had to go and get some dinner. And I just texted a friend and said, hey, I'm about if you want a drink. And it was one of those great moments where he replied instantly going, oh my God, I'm totally free. This is perfect. There's a pub I want to go to in, in Borough. So we went to this pub called the Royal Oak, a Harvey's pub in Borough which was, I tell you what, it was... If the people inside hadn't been so nice, the amount of Christmas parties in there would have been unbearable. But they were sort of... So there were lots of people dressed as Santa, and mm. they, they were noisy, but they were they were nice people, so you could sort of... It wasn't irritating. But we did leave after one excellent pint of Harvey's uh, Pale IPA. And then we went to... Um, That was the Royal Oak. Then we went to the George, that big um, sort of coaching house pub. But we went to an exceptional pub. Let me just look it up in my mind.
2: Um... I was going to say I had a pint of Harvey's the other day, and it's the first kind of ale I've had of the season. I don't know if anyone else sort of only drinks ale in in the winter. Oh, right. But I'd come in from a, a very cold evening and met my friend Jack in the Harp in Leicester, in London. I <laughs> can't remember where, yeah. How, yeah, Leicester Square, around there. And yeah, I couldn't, you know, you couldn't do a cold lager after that. No. So I had a really, really good pint of best. The second pub we went to was at the King's
1: Arms on New Common Street. And that was just, we walked in, very busy, but not Christmas parties. Very festive, lovely decorations up, Christmas music on. And just walked, I walked to see if there were any chairs and right in the corner by the fire, there was a table with two leather armchairs. Oh, love it, love it, love it, love it. It was just amazing. And then there was a really nice moment of sort of pub, what would you call it? Uh, Like- um, Serendipity? No, just sort of good pub manners or good pub etiquette where we were sat and we were lucky to get this table. And I saw this group of friends, these two couples come in and they were sort of, they went to get a table and you know when someone just gets there just ahead of you. Mm. So you sort of have to seed defeat on route. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was a really busy bar. Yeah. And about two minutes after that, they went to the other end of the bar. The people on the table next to us started to sort of get their bags. And I just sort of looked up to right the other end of the bar and just sort of tried to get their attention and waved at them. And one of the women caught my eye and I just pointed to the people getting up.
2: Nice. And they
1: sort of moved in and there was a sort of a clean exchange of power on the table. But they were so thankful because I'd sort of clocked that they just missed out on a table and was able to sort of fulfil their every waking desire in a way. Yeah. (laughs) That's a a lovely lovely. story. Yeah. And then we went to, uh, yeah, the George from there. So, yeah, it was just great. It was just perfect. Also... We met at four, thirty, five maybe. Four or five pints.
2: I was on the train home by half six. That's almost your ideal night, isn't it? In bed with a cryptic crossword. Yeah, it's a dream come true. <laughs> uh, well, no, I came back and had a
1: bottle of wine and uh, some margaritas. Lovely. <laughs> a bottle of wine. <laughs>
2: oh, tremendous. Um,
1: Do I feel the soft kiss of mist upon my cheek, Robin? Thou
2: dost. Um, Mist this week is... I've actually got a nice mist from a friend of mine, James Woodard, who I'm on a very funny WhatsApp group with called uh, Pumpkin Spice Laddies. Um, Actually, we've changed our name now for a Christmas one. But um, he listened to the podcast that just went out with Mike Bubbins. And in the intro, remember, we were talking about Ringwood Brewery and about the kind of independent versus kind of owned breweries situation oh yeah so james woodard has this to say just listening to the latest podder and to chip in on the ringwood sitch on the brewery tour they specifically talk about the sellout and how great it's been and in (laughs) in brackets possibly bullshit how it hasn't changed a single part of the brewing process so think it is in the bracket of being good for the business and the ability to get good beer to more people than a full-on dirty takeover and ruin the product was a nice nice little insight there from a brewery tour. Yeah, and I was thinking about this quite a lot because obviously I don't know the
1: ins and outs of every brewery takeover that's ever been. But, you know, I think there's there's space for... Brewing is such a booming market in the UK, which is great. Like, it's one of the fastest-growing business areas in all of British business. And... I think it's good that small companies are becoming medium companies and medium companies are becoming big companies. And Mm. because, you know, that just sort of helps everyone. Um, But I'm sure people will have, you know, there's a there's certainly um, a big takeover that has affected some of our favorite beers over the
2: years in a negative way. R.I.P. Morels. Oh. Wouldn't you rather it didn't exist, though? Because it's, it's, it's in the unreachable past now. Isn't that, isn't that better, in a way?
1: Well, maybe better for you, but probably not for the employees of Morels. <laughs> Imagine and, <that. laughs> In the meeting, <laughs> when, they, when everyone loses their job, say, don't worry, because we'll always exist in the dimly lit corridors of Robin's
2: mind. And that's better.
1: And that's better. But also, you know, uh, Green King used to be a very different beer, oh if you ask God. me. Tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me
2: about it. So, some good, some bad. It's a mixed bag. Yeah, indeed. Another great mist, again, about uh, last week's episode with Mike Bubbins. As a patron of the socially distanced sports bar as well, I may be a little biased. However, that, for me, was the best one yet. Warm, funny, and everything had a bit of a backstory. Nice to hear how well John gets along with Ellis's bit on the side, too. Cracking episode, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Lovely message. I I listened back to the episode with Mike, and it was so nice.
1: He's such a sort of such a he's a real deep thinker and mm. someone with that wonderful amount of life experience. And the way he spoke about some of his
2: choices was really quite moving. He's very he's very gentle, and the way he talks is kind of so sensitive. You know, I think. Yeah,
1: and at Social Distance Sports Bar very kindly put. Uh, the first half of that episode on their podcast feed. So uh, a warm welcome and a merry hello to any uh, socially distant sports bar listeners who are joining us for the first time um, live Mm, now. mm. Uh, You're very welcome here in the Moon Underwater, as all people are. Yes, indeed. And if you would like to support us, you can head over to moonunderpod.com or patreon.com forward slash moonunderpod. But even if you don't, sit down, relax, pull up a pew, look at the uh, look at the brasses representing emotions and sort of mental states and uh, we hope you enjoy this week's guest. Robin, did you notice all the many and splendid rainbows in the air today? Yes. But the, um, as is often the case here in the correct realm, the, the colours were sort of, they're not the usual rainbow colours, are they?
2: No, there, there, there are quite a few brown ones.
1: Yeah, it's sort of mainly shades of brown, mahogany, oak, sepia. Black and white rainbow. But sort of a brown and black and white rainbow. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you've looked out of the uh, heavily panelled bay windows here at the Moon Underwater, but the rainbow is beginning to shift towards the front door of the pub. Hmm.
2: Which can only mean.
1: Which, well, which can only mean, can't it?
2: It can um, only mean.
1: It can only have meaning within <laughs> it. Um, and the meaning today is, I think, that our guest at the end of the rainbow, which is fitting, is is on her way into the front door of the moon underwater and just as i've said that solid oak begins to creak on its hinges as we welcome into the moon underwater jan ravens hello jan hello john and
3: hello robin how are you
1: good thank you very much welcome to the moon underwater
3: well thank you it's 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 you've got it yeah you've got it lovely actually now you've got it as you want it it's lovely isn't it yeah yeah, what's your favourite element of it? Well, like you say, that lovely bay window. Um, you know, I, th- I think, uh, you know, it's it's nice to have a pub with a view.
1: Mm. Couldn't agree with you more, even if that view is just of the pub.
3: Yes, yeah. I think it's nice to have something nice to look at. Mm. And
1: Jan, do pull up a pew, but you can have any pew of your choice. What's your sort of favourite area to sit on, being a chair? <laughs> and I know a lot of people do describe chairs as areas to sit on
3: yes generally yeah I I favor a chair but I mean I quite like um you know in a pub environment I quite like it when there are um you know different kind of configurations of, of places to sit on so that because you might you know you want the pub for different things you might want it for a nice intimate chat with somebody uh, you might be a heart to heart with a mate or a romantic assignation, or you might be, you know, in a in a big rowdy group. So you want lots of you want a nice big grouping of chairs. So I think what pubs sometimes don't do is that is that they, is they don't have enough sort of, you know, differing sizes of kind of of little kind of meeting places. They have every, every place is like, you know, a sort of three or four people table, you know, or those pubs that only have big sofas. So you're all sitting in a row. Which is not very sociable. Is I'm it? a
1: huge fan of the word configurations,
4: mm, and I configurations. think that's such an
1: interesting point.
3: Mm. Configurations.
1: How how does one configure a pub to accommodate numerous different group sizes, but also I'm tempted to say vibe scenarios
3: well I think I think so long as they're there you know I mean the point of the vibe really is that is that the pub is sufficiently full isn't it and I think uh you're going to kind of um you're going to maximise uh, the possibility of the pub being full by appealing to all these different groups of people, like the couples, the intimate friends, the big groups of people who've just come out from work, the people who are off to the match. Um, so I think, yeah, you've got to, you've got to have plenty. I mean, because you, you can have little booths. I love a booth in, as part of the configuration. There could be some booths involved.
1: Mm.
3: No, you're not sounding very keen on. There's that. nothing.
1: There would be nothing worse than a than a young couple either having a romantic moment or indeed a breakup because life is peaks and troughs next to a very big rowdy table. Mm.
3: Yeah,
2: I don't like ta- I don't like cl- tables that are too close to each other. I do. I do feel that that is something. I mean, I don't know if that's just because I'm quite misanthropic, but uh,
3: <laughs> or maybe you have lots of secrets to tell that you don't want other people hearing, Robin. <laughs>
1: that could be it It Mm. it. you want a few liminal spaces within the configurations i think what we're getting towards here you want a few anonymous alleyways and ginnels,
3: (laughs) (laughs) ginnels, or jiggers as we call them up north Mm. the back jigger jan you're from near hoy lake aren't you i am from hoy lake yeah
1: I was in Hoylake last week.
3: You weren't. For heaven's sake, why?
1: I was playing Royal Liverpool golf course.
3: Oh, my God. I worked behind the bar at the Royal Liverpool Golf Club when I was little. Did you? Yeah, really? I did. What a clubhouse. I know. I mean, it's a very... It's. It seems like a slightly unlikely gig for a a stand-up comedian of your ilk to me. Because, you know, it was it was full of like, you know, very much, hello, uh, could you get me a pink gin and, uh, you know, a pint of a bit of my friend? I mean, it was, I mean, it was very posh. I mean, I'm very old, so... Oh, it, I wasn't doing a, I wasn't performing.
2: I was playing golf.
3: You played golf? That's even more surprising. <laughs>
2: <laughs> John's secretly posh.
3: No, because my mum and dad played golf and my dad played at Hoylake Muni. And and then my mum uh, worked at the Royal Liverpool Golf Club. She was the secretary's secretary. And my dad, and, and, and the Royal Liverpool was very, very posh. Only posh people could get in. And then they started opening it up to the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, and indeed the clerk, which was what my dad was. And um, so he was allowed to join from the Muni. So he saved up and saved up and joined the Royal Liverpool. And it was the proudest... Thing of his life, that he eventually became a member of the Royal Liverpool.
1: Jan, we often talk about a very specific observation about pubs on the moon underwater. Is that often pubs are doing impressions of the pubs you want them to be? So you walk into a pub.
3: <laughs> I see what you've I can't done, there. You're uh, doing this. I see <laughs> what you've done. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: you you walk into a pub and you think, oh my goodness, what a fantastic traditional victorian edwardian 16th century tudor boozer this is i realize that 30 years ago it was essentially a sort of function room or a conference room and jan you
2: are an impressionist i'd love to see your brainstorming notes for this (laughs) (laughs) Jan. did you just write the word impressions down with a big circle around (laughs)
1: i've actually written pub impressions very nice very but nice. when when you walk into a pub, what sort of pub do you want to see? Do you want to see a take on a past pub or do you value authenticity higher than necessarily the sort of the, the effect of the pub itself?
3: Um, I don't think I really mind about it being, all, I mean, I, I don't like Draylon. Uh now, do you know what I mean by draylon being boys it's that sort of like fabric that's like velvet only it's kind of nylony and it gives you an unpleasant feeling when you stroke it
1: oh sort of horrible one way, and yes it's smooth like the sort other. of
3: nylon velvet type stuff and and draylon I think is a very unpleasant fabric and you know uh, needs not to be anywhere, let alone a nice a nice pub so i mean i i I think the the thing that you want pubs to do is to make you feel comfortable so you know the the i mean it could be like you know a mid 20th century kind of vibe you know it could have um you know Ercole furniture and you know geometric style curtains but it's, so long as it was kind of welcoming i mean i don't think you want a minimalist pub do you
1: no interesting you don't want a minimalist pub so would you say you like a maximalist pub would you want to walk in and just see all kinds of stuff all over the walls? You know, like some pubs might have like a trumpet, an old guitar, a mermaid from a ship's prow.
3: Prow. Yeah, yeah. No. um, uh, Yeah, I quite like all that. I mean, I I don't. I, but I don't mind if it is a kind of impression of that. I mean, I quite like I quite like a pub, you know, was um, one that particularly springs to mind called the Gurnard's Head in Cornwall. Oh, great name for a pub. Yeah. And it's um and it's like, you know, it's very tongue and groove panelling and, you know, lots of books around. And I quite like that when there's lots of books around and you know, I don't mind if they've created, you know, if it's a created sort of ambiance. And sometimes, you know, now the ones that are doing that sort of Victorian dark wood horse brassy thing are starting to look a bit sort of tired. And I don't quite, you know, I don't know quite what you do about that because you don't want to sort of, you know, it's really difficult with pubs because people have such strong attachments to them, don't mm. they? Mm.
1: The Gurnard's Head, can't really get over
2: that. Is that a fish? Is that in St. Ives?
3: Yeah, near St. Ives. It's between Senon and St. Ives. Really?
2: It's between Zen- and it's a kind Zenor. of
3: gastro pub now, actually.
0: Ah,
2: Yeah, because I was in St. Ives this year and we walked the coastal path to, to Zenor. But That's we, a we must dip. have missed this pub. That is a first <laughs> Yeah, it was. it was. I was. I nearly died. No, I, I didn't. But I we, we did get to a pub at the end, and I had to order two pints of cider each for myself and my girlfriend because <laughs> we were so so dehy- well, dehydrated. Well, actually,
3: we we walked the the coast path the other way, coming from Pendine to Zennor, and we were very much looking forward to getting to Zennor and having um, a welcome pint at the Smuggler's Arms which I, I believe it's called and it was closed
2: oh my because, god because
3: uh, we got there i think it in the in the afternoon or something and so i think we got there about half past 4 or something and it was not open till half past 5 mm. and
2: if the pub had been closed in zeno i would i would have cried i would have just broken down and cried cuz <laughs> it was <laughs> it was a it was a pretty long journey yeah
3: you really do need a pub after a, a walking the coast path yeah. my god
2: Hello, I'm Adam Hurry, host of Football Clichés, a truly unique podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Twice a week, my guests and I tear apart the language of football, the words, the phrases, the mannerisms, and the weird habits of everyone involved in the game. From the shoes that football pundits are legally required to wear to the didn't play for Sam Allardyce's Bolton but really should have done 11, Football Clichés explores all the tiny things that you didn't realise you cared about. But believe me, you do.
1: Jan Ravens, Impressionist extraordinaire, in your pub of configurations, with booths playing their part within the configurations, but not a piece of draylon in sight. What are your first two draft choices?
3: OK, so I like. Uh, I've got, I've got to have the two sort of draft choices for different moods. And sometimes in a, I'm in a mood for lager. And if I'm going to have a lager, now you'll have to tell me a bit more about this because you're probably much more knowledgeable about all this than I am. Because I, you know, I don't go to pubs that often. I mean, I'm quite particular about them when I do, but I'm not. So, so, you know, because I go to different pubs in different places, there's always a different lager on. And I quite like, is it called London lager?
2: London lager by my meantime. Yeah. Yeah. London meantime. Yeah. Yeah. I quite like yeah. that because
3: I don't like sort of Heineken and uh, those sort of this because there's some lager that just sort of tastes like, um, and I want to say things like Heineken and Carlsberg, but I, I might be doing them a disservice where it's just, it's just a bit bland. And I feel that, you know, it's quite nice to have a lager with a little bit of a kick. And I know that a lot of pubs serve um, Stella Artois on draft, don't they? But isn't that kind of, um, isn't that very strong? I think it
1: used to have a reputation for being strong, but I'll throw to our resident lager expert, Robin. Uh, What are your thoughts on London lager and how strong is Stella on draft? Well, I'm
2: just the idiot that drinks it, but I think Stella is 4.8, isn't it? Yeah, I think it may have used to be five. it's weird, I had a reputation for being strong, but now kind of lots of craft beers and things are a lot stronger than it. But yeah, I mean, I I will I won't often have Stella in a pub, although I do love the chalice, which has a a very good nucleated base, if that's the correct word, which means you get the the fizziest pint imaginable in a Stella chalice. Do you know
1: what's very funny about London Lager? So I've just looked it up in my mind, and in my mind you know how companies will give their own products marks out of 10 for various sort of categories yeah so on the on the site that's come up in my mind where i've looked up london lager it it doesn't say what it's out of but <laughs> but, but the most they've given is 7 so let's say it's out of 10 yeah it's got malt, it's got 5 out of 10 Fruit, it's got 3 out of 10 Hoppy, it's got 7 out of 10 Sweet, it's got 3 out of 10 Bitter, it's got 7 out of 10 And Mouthfeel, it's got 4 out of 10 mm, And That doesn't I, sound
2: like a very good result, really, does it?
1: But I love how stupid those things are Because <laughs> yeah. if it had scored 0 out of 10 on Mouthfeel Would you not know you were drinking it? Yeah, <laughs> you'd think it was just air
3: you're no better off, are you? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know
1: any more about this product based on this ludicrous graph. And there's so that I I get coffee. Uh, the coffee I buy is Lavazza coffee and they do four different uh, coffees and they all have an intensity
3: of five out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Which is <laughs>
1: stupid. But based against what? Yeah, I don't know.
3: I don't know. Um but anyway, um, yes, I'm not. I mean, I'm not an expert on on uh, on draft lager, but um, but I like that uh, that London one. I think it's that London because I live right near a brewery. I live right near Fuller's. Of course. Oh, yeah.
1: lovely! I'm literally
3: just down the road from the Fuller's brewery, but they've stopped. They've stopped. I think they're selling it to Asahi or something, and they're just Fuller's are just going to concentrate on um, on pubs uh, on hospitality.
2: Well, speaking of breweries, my friend went to the my friend went to the Greenwich Brewery, and he said it was absolutely hilarious, because there was a, the guy who ran it was called Big Al, and I, I would love if anyone's listening to this and has been on the Greenwich tour. I don't want to say too much about it because. <laughs> But like, if if anyone's listening to this and has been on the Greenwich Tour and wants to tell us about their experiences, I would love to hear about it, because it sounds like Big Al was quite an eccentric character. Do email john at moonunderpod.com to get in touch. Uh, What's
1: your second draft choice, Jan?
3: Um, It's called Doom Bar. Mm.
1: Interesting, interesting. Often described, as it the most popular draft beer in the country, Robin? Could that be possible?
2: I'm just the idiot that drinks it. I mean, <laughs> he's just the idiot that drinks. But well, you
1: don't drink Doombar.
2: No, I don't really drink Doombar. Uh, but Jan,
3: why Doombar? Well, only um, because of nostalgia reasons, really. Because we uh, we used to go on holiday every year when the the kids were little. We used to go on holiday to um, Helford in Cornwall, and we used to go down to the Shipwright's Arms, which is a very very beautifully located pub on the Helford River, and. Um, and i i think that was where i first started sort of drinking a bitter you know sometimes because it, it just something about being in a pub made me sort of not want to drink lager but to drink bitter and so i tried this doom bar and i really liked it and um and so it just reminds me of all those kind of you know happy holidays and um I mean, it, it, does, it does bring up another issue, actually, which is the issue of when you have kids, your whole attitude to pubs changes because you want a whole load of different things. Oh, tell me more. Well, here's something that I really object to, which is when you go to the pub and they say, family room, uh, you know, we welcome families. And then you're, you know, you go into this beautiful, you know, cosy, lovely pub. And yes, yeah, so the family room's just through here. And you're, you know, you're sort of um, ushered through into this kind of dank cellar, um, where there's kind of, you know, a few um, sticky tables and no windows, and and you know, you're sort of banished to this, uh, you know, as if you're sort of doing a penance or something, because you know the people, the real people that want to be in the pub are the grown-ups, and I just think that, you know, I mean, obviously you want there to be a place where if adults want to be in a pub they can but also i just think there you pubs have got to make sure that um that there's a nice place for people with children to go and not just a dank cell
1: yeah and i think that's something that robin and i have learned since opening the moon underwater i i think we both initially had a, a quite an anti-child stance on pubs but we are being educated on the fact that that really does create a huge barrier to women going into pubs, especially. Yeah. So what is your solution to, to that to that problem where, on the one hand, it's quite reasonable to expect to go to a pub, especially in the evening, and not to f- sort of have kids running around everywhere. But on the other hand... To increase access, and I think probably a sense of welcome to women with children and, and families and couples and that sort of thing. How do you square that circle?
3: Well, I think I think for a start, you um, you make sure you have uh, a family room for for the daytime sessions, and maybe you change the um, the function of it at night. But I think you know also. I mean, it might be very different since I, you know, had Alfie Brown as a babe in arms. And, you know, you go into a pub with a babe in arms, an an insensate kind of babe in arms, and they say, no, we don't allow any babies. And you go, but, you know, why? The baby, You know, we don't allow children in. And you think, well, he's asleep, you know, he's not doing any harm. And, you know, he's not coming under under terrible influence because he's too young and he's a tiny baby. So, I mean, I think they have to sort of... I think pubs are generally, you know, they like. I remember pubs in Cornwall when we first started going there. You know, if you got there a minute later than half past two, you know, you weren't, you know, we stopped serving, that's it. And you sort of think, so this is the hospitality industry, you know, and, um, but now that, you know, that they've, the licensing hours are much more liberal and everything. And I think the attitude to kids has got much more liberal. But I do understand your point of view because, you know, there's nothing worse than, I mean, sometimes when you do that thing of, like, lovely thing of going to the pub for your Sunday roast lunch, I was going to say dinner in a kind of Hoylake kind of a way, your Sunday dinner, you know, and there's millions of kids and screaming and everything. And it just, it is kind of, it is a bit annoying. But, you know. I think, but like, a,
1: a babe in arms is sort of quite an inert presence in a pub
2: mm, until they wake up.
1: Yeah, but even then, I think with a the, with the baby, if it's crying and screaming, I think most people with their heads screwed on will take it for a walk in the garden or maybe outside or, you know, they won't just sit there and ignore a screaming baby in a pub. I think it's it's more when they are very active. and And also, I do sometimes feel a sense, and I, hands up, I'm a childless man. But when you feel, actually, that you, you've brought a child to a pub so you can go to a pub and you're basically ignoring them and they're bored and it's not fair. Because <laughs> what, what child wants to sit with, you know, half a lemonade and a straw for two hours? There's there's nothing in a pub for kids to do. So I, I do sometimes feel it's slightly... Um, I feel sorry for the kid sometimes.
3: Yeah. Well, when I first started going to pubs, um, you know, to the Green Lodge in Hoylake... Um, when I was a kid, you know, you'd be you'd be sat outside in the garden, or possibly even in the car, with a coke and a packet of crisps, you know, and, and that was that. But I mean, they wouldn't be in there for hours.
2: The Green Lodge—it sounds very Twin Peaks, the Green Lodge, but a kind of <laughs> English version. Oh, does
3: it? Well, I think it was more to do with the green, you know, the the green as in the golf green.
1: It's still there. I've just looked it up in my mind. The Green Lodge Restaurant. Oh, it's got a nice, it's got a nice big beer garden, I have to say. And, uh, oh, and it does have a green light above the front. And I imagine looking at it from across the bay like Gatsby, that green light in the distance, <laughs> born back ceaselessly into the past. We must now move on to your two bottles or cans, uh Jan. Uh, what are you gonna choose?
3: Okay, so I want an al- I want a good alcohol free option. So um so I want like a I want I, I quite like that um punk AF alcohol free punk IPA. Do you know that one?
1: Yeah, it's that um uh yeah, it's brew dog, isn't it? Punk AF, which stands for a swear word, and that's absolutely fine. Punk AF, alcohol-free uh, IPA. So, so, what's your what's your um, experience of alcohol-free beers? Have you have you needed them at times in your life, or do you want them as an option?
3: I, I think I think pubs have to, you know, they have to cater for people who aren't drinking alcohol because, you know, it, especially country pubs where somebody's got to be the designated driver. And, and I think some. T- I mean, lots of alcohol-free beers now, I think, are really good. And I, you know, my family has a very complicated relationship with alcohol. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes I think, you know, you just have to kind of lay off it for a bit. And so, yeah, I think the alcohol-free beer is, um, you know, is the would-be alcoholic's friend.
1: <laughs> well, I think sometimes they can they, they can be very useful in just... Breaking those little habit triggers, so you know it's it's five thirty and you're starting to sort of prepare dinner where usually you would have a glass of wine or a beer, and actually it may not actually be that much to do with the alcohol. It's to do with the habit. So just having something that tastes beer-like or wine-like just gets you through that twenty minutes of chopping carrots and cabbage and lettuce or whatever.
2: And I think also the more pubs do um, non-alcoholic beer on draft and the and actually having a pint in your hand does make a kind of a bit of a psychological difference rather than having a Bex Blue or a bottle of Bex Blue or something. It's kind of, I guess it just makes it easier in those situations.
3: No, yeah, I think, yeah, that would be really good. I didn't know they did it on draft. Does anybody do it on draft?
2: Yeah, Brewdog does. The Brewdog pub in Bristol has a, one of their non-alcoholic ones on draft which is really good.
1: And Heineken Zero is often on draft. And Guinness 0.0, fingers crossed. Is that any good?
2: Oh, it's brilliant.
1: But it it's not, I don't think it's on draft in many places yet, but you can get it in cans in supermarkets and it's superb. So uh, uh, what would be your second bottle or can?
3: So it's going to be a bottle of um, a nice but not too expensive sort of um, white burgundy wine, like a... I think I mean white burgundy, like um, a sort of, you know, a, a Macon, something not kind of terribly sort of posh, but very, but, but kind of nice. And also, I mean, I've had so much wine in pubs that has made you feel like you're going to die the following morning. Absolutely going to die. I mean, there's a, there's a, a pub in, um, in London near Broadcasting House called the Yorkshire Grey. Where uh, if you drink wine there, that you go. Have you got any wine? And they go, yes, we've got um, all the wines. And I, and I, oh right, what have you got? Well, we've got Yorkshire White and Yorkshire Red. They're called the Yorkshire Grey. I mean, and they are, you know, equally poisonous. Well, no, not poisonous. That's libelous, but um, slanderous. But um, yeah, I mean, they they just give you such a terrible headache, even if you only have one. And I I just think that pubs need to wake up to the fact that, you know, more people like drinking wine. And, you know, if you're, especially if you're spending an evening in the pub, you know, by and large, women, you know, and, you know, I'm sure lots of women would say, well, I I can drink loads of pints. I, I can't kind of physically drink loads and loads of pints. So I might have a pint and then move on to
2: wine. At the weekend, we, my girlfriend and I, went down to Gordon's Wine Bar. You know, the famous London institution near Charing Cross, and that is it is really nice just to just have a glass of wine. <laughs> it just it's like why don't I do this more often? I mean, it is quite expensive. It's it, you know obviously attracts a lot of tourists because of its historic value, but it was just so nice to have a serre uh, uh, around lunchtime. You know, and just really um, you sort of um, take your time with it a lot more. And you're not just necking pints, you know.
1: (laughs) Do you remember the last time we went to Gordon's Wine Bar, Rob?
2: No, I can't remember the last time. Why? What happened?
1: We went with our friend Sam and I started drinking sherry at three o'clock and by six I was asleep in my bed in my
3: house. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Sherry is so
2: strong. We should have had it. We should have got a cheese board. But to everyone who doesn't know Gordon's but Gordon's behind bars I mean it's subterranean, it's like it's been there for hundreds of years, it's it's all candlelit downstairs. It really is. I've never been there. Oh, it's worth a visit. I mean, but you know, it is Oh um, man.
1: It's right by um it's right by uh, Charing Cross Station down on Villiers Street.
3: Oh yeah.
1: It's beautiful.
3: It sounds like a place I've been in um Bath. Can't remember what that's it called, does have hmm. a bath
1: feel about it. So well what are the tasting what's so White white Burgundy sounds amazing. I don't think I've ever had it. Where does it sort of sit on the taste scale?
3: Well, it's. um, I think what I mean is a sort of Chardonnay grape, like a Macon Viage or a Chablis or something like that. So, uh, but what I think about wine is, I mean, it's like um, it's not tart, like a Sauvignon. It's not really really dry, but it's. um, But neither is it sweet, and it's. It can be sort of quite nice and mellow without being that sort of buttery Chardonnay that they used to talk about sort of in the 90s. I think what the thing about wine is that you have to sort of you have to pay a certain amount I mean like you know in the supermarket if you pay a fiver for a bottle of wine it's not going to be much good but if you pay sort of eight or ten quid for a bottle of wine that's probably going to be kind of good enough I think you know I mean obviously you can pay much more but I think wine gets to a point where you know, it's good enough now. I don't need it to be any better than that. Um, yeah. And I
1: think also people would quite happily spend £4.50 or £5 on a glass of wine in a bar. So why would you, you know, if you're going to spend your money wisely, a seven quid bottle or eight quid bottle of wine is still good value compared to a sort of a pub price. Well, it's superb choices uh, from you, Jan. We've got London Lager by Meantime Brewery at 4.5%. We've got Doom Bar. And on Bottle and Can, we've got Punk AF, uh, alcohol free from Brewdog. And a white burgundy, maybe a Chablis or a Macon. But now it's time for us to test our brain boxes in the Moon Underwater pub
2: quiz. <laughs> Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey has been deducted five points.
3: Hooray! I love a pub quiz.
2: (laughs) Do you like a pub quiz, Jan? Yeah?
3: I do. I haven't been to very many, but I went to our local for a pub quiz once and um, it was the first time we'd been to our local for a pub quiz. And um, there was a team there that had won for the previous consecutive sort of six times or something. And they were our window cleaners.
2: Really? <laughs>
1: Amazing.
3: <laughs> we beat them by one point, And the guy that ran the quiz was so thrilled because somebody else had won. Uh, But unfortunately, the prize was £50 worth of vouchers for the food in that pub, which was... I thought you were
2: going to say £50 of vouchers to get your windows cleaned then.
3: (laughs) No. (laughs) But that would would have been nicer, actually. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been much more (laughs) valuable than the sort of, you know, deep-fried horror that we were able to purchase. Yeah. Anyway, I do love a quiz.
2: Good, great. Well, let's see how we get on with this week's pub quiz. So what I'm going to do is read out three questions and then we'll go to a little break to give us all a chance to ruminate upon the tenterhooks. And then I'll go through the answers and we can see how well we all did. So this week the quiz is about your friend and mine, time. Do you like time, John? Uh, I've got a a sort of problematic relationship with time, really. I find
1: its passing quite stressful at times, but then I... I'm sort of the youngest in our friendship group, so I always feel quite young. You do feel young,
2: yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, that's true. But you're 40 next year, so there's a lot Next to... year, I'm in my 30s now. Yes, 30s, yeah, 30s. Are you in your 30s? Oh, I'm in my late 30s. Are you? Yeah, I'm in my very late 30s. <laughs> uh, A.K.A.? Your friend of mine... 40. 40s. I'm 40. So, question one. What was notable about the leap year in the year 2000? So, the year 2000 was a leap year, but what was notable about it, if that question makes In what makes sense? sense? It's quite a vague question. Is, do you think that's vague? Yeah. Okay, I'll put it this way. It was a leap year, but it was an unusual leap year. Ah, yeah, interesting. interesting. The year 2000 was an unusual leap year. Okay. And why? Question two. What is the name given to the shadow casting object on a sundial? It's a classic pub quiz question. What is the name given to the shadow casting object on a sundial? Question three. Love this question. If 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins was released today, what would it be called? (laughs) (laughs) Do, Do you understand the question? Basically, when did 1979... Come out, uh, but yeah. If 1979 came out today, what year would it be called? So it's basically about y- y- your knowledge of 90s alternative rock. I've given you a big clue. You've it's given us 90s. a big clue there. <laughs> but those are the your thrice questions. <laughs> thrice questions. Those are your three questions. Good luck, folks. We don't just head
1: for a break. Uh, this is now the end of part one of the podcast. We have seared these episodes in Twain to stop visits to well to ensure visits to the moon and underwater aren't too ungainly Uh, so we will play you out on those hooks and join us in part two which will be next up on your podcast feeds if you would like to receive these podcasts in one unedited chunk uh, then do head to moonunderpod.com to support us with the upkeep e.g. Brasso for the brass rubbings New pint glasses for when they sort of smash themselves in an act of Harry Keery. There's a As pint glasses in the moon underwater are want to do, when they feel they've reached the end of their life, they fall on their own swords. Uh, but we and will you see do you mean sword with an A. I do mean like, sword, like a, yeah.
2: A grassy sword, yeah. Uh,
1: we will see you back in part two for the answers to those superb pub quiz questions.